attention sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Spacey on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I think it is a good development that the Attorney General has assigned a U.S. Attorney to investigate the, the origins of, of the Obama administration uh, surveilling the, tr- the, the Trump campaign. His name is John Durham. He's been called a hard charger, even a bulldog. Attorney General William Barr wants him to look into the origins of the Russia investigation following the release of the Mueller report. Republicans have made it a point of wanting to investigate the genesis for the Russia probe. Now it appears will happen. We need to investigate it. We need to investigate how politicized it was. And in particular, we need to see what were the roles of the political appointees. Who signed off on it? Was, was it Loretta Lynch? Was it John Brennan? What, what, was it Joe Biden? Was it President Obama himself? And now, Stacey Washington. All right. Welcome to the program. UrbanFamilyTalk.com, AFR.net, OneNewsNow.com. We are slamming and jamming on to hour two of the program. And we have some more callers that I want to get to. And then we're also going to be chatting with Daniel Turner. He's the executive director of Power to the Future. That's next segment. And we're going to be talking about Bernie Sanders promising mayhem with Medicare for All. And... Rashida Tlaib, more corrections on her awful comments about the Holocaust. And um, we'll unpack this bar spying investigation, which this is important for us because now it's time to turn the tables. The people who set the trap are going to now be caught in it, and it's going to be pretty, pretty, uh, pretty satisfying. Okay, let's put it that way. All right. <laughs> First, let's go to the phones. We have Carolyn in Texas. Hey, Carolyn, thanks for calling the show. Hi, Stacy. I love your show. Thank you. Uh, you have so many important topics today. It just got me all excited. But the <laughs> one particular one, the 13 Reasons Why, when I, came, when I became informed of this program, I used to have Netflix, and that was about over a year ago, I think. And I tried to call the executive branch of Netflix, and I can't remember how high I got up. But the young man actually argued with me about why it's reasonable to have such a horrific show. And it just infuriated me. I said, you are, you are promoting suicide among children. Well, what, what did he say? And, what, uh, what good reasons are there for that? Because I'm trying to figure out what he, he could have possibly... He saying that they weren't promoting suicide. They were, they were trying to make it a public awareness program. Mm-hmm. When, in fact, that's not it at all. It's horrifying that they could get away with, with showing this program which shows you what the media has done to us now. People think, oh, you're talking about the media, you're talking about ABC, NBC, or CBS. No, you're talking about uh, Netflix, Amazon, uh, Google, uh, Facebook, all of these, these places that are right in our face, and our children just can't get away from it. And it's just evil. And they're running all over us. You know, we're going to be lucky if we have anything left by the time someone pays attention. It just infuriates you. So, yes, I, I quit my Netflix account, and I encourage my neighbors to do the same, family, anybody who would listen. But I just can't believe it's still on, I think. You know, it is. I just can't believe it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Carolyn. I, what I get back from people as well, you know, what is just one person, um, you know, quitting Netflix going to do but it's not the one person it's it's just think about what we were able to do a few short weeks ago American Family Radio and 
over 13,000 donors raised $2.7 million. Now, that is ministry-specific. That's people who are plugged in and partnered with, with AFR. But I'm only using that as kind of an encouraging catalyst to redirect. If 13,000 you know, listeners of our programming decided we're going to sh- cut Netflix off, we're going to shut it down, that would have an equally strong impact. So, yeah, you cutting it off, Carolyn, and our family cutting it off. I had an argument with the guy, too. What's so funny about when you were describing the argument you had? I had an argument this was before we cut it off. They had actually added, they'd integrated the homosexual content into a bunch of the different categories. And they used to have homosexual content. It was under LGBT and you could hide it. So I'd hidden it and all of a sudden it showed up. And I was worried about the kids seeing the acronym because this was when they were smaller and kind of clicking on it and watching something that had, you know, same sex, sex scenes, all that kind of stuff. So I called over and I was like, I don't know why you guys unhid this for my account but I want it hidden and I want you not to unhide it when I hide it again this time and he said well why would you want to hide homosexual content I said we have children in this household we I'm, I'm protecting them from this deviancy he said why do you think homosexual content is deviancy and why isn't it appropriate for your kids to see I said do you have any kids it's not about me ma'am I said I'm assuming you don't This is not appropriate content for children to view, and it is deviancy. And as a subscriber, I have the right, because you give us the opportunity to hide content, I have the right to hide R-rated content and anything else I deem inappropriate for the kids. He was like, well, I just don't think you should be allowed to hide it at all. I think it should be integrated with everything else because it's normal and it's natural and you're not going to be able to escape it. And I was like, this man, he better be glad we're just talking on the phone because he deserves a smack. And... You know, it wasn't long after that. Oh, actually, it was. We we kept it. I hid the content, and we still had Netflix for about three years after that, if I'm thinking correctly about the timing there. But yeah, Carolyn, you, when you talk to them, it's a foregone conclusion in their minds. You you just give in, just bow down and give in to their agenda. I know it's it's just plain evil. I don't understand it. We don't need to teach our children sexuality in any way, mm. shape, or form. We're mammals. I mean, we get it. We don't need to be taught these things by the public. And it needs to stop. You know, we need to allow our children to be children. But the media exploits our children tremendously, not just by Netflix, which is, you know, owned by George Soros, by the way. So it can't be good. And uh, also uh, it's, you know, uh, Google and and, and, uh, Mm -hmm. YouTube. That these kids have access to pornography, violence, and just tremendously bad, evil stuff. Even uh, my daughter's a wonderful child, and she'll constantly have to click off of things, just looking up regular, uh, regular things that she needs to look up for school or something. It'll be something awful, and that's constantly thrown in our children's face. My daughter has me to look after her every day. Look at all the children whose parents work all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't have anybody there to stop them from watching pornography. You know, right, and insane. the kids are getting hooked on it. It's just, it's so, the, I think what's happened is we have really convinced ourselves that we can watch this stuff and it, there's no ramifications, there's no repercussions. And a lot of parents, God bless them because they're working and they have a lot going on, but we're still going to be held accountable for what the kids are exposed to. And even when you're watching as closely as you are and as closely as I've tried to, your kids still get exposed to this stuff. 
they still it still creeps in. So it's bad enough when it's getting in, you know, but it, it's even worse when Netflix is actually targeting your kid with it and putting it out. They actually put it into the channels of these younger children. Um, thank you so much for calling the show. I appreciate you, Carolyn. Richard in Mississippi. Hey, Richard. Thanks for calling the show. Uh, thank you, Stacy. I appreciate it. Uh, the, re- the reason I'm calling, I'm a father of a nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. And, well, he just turned nine. And we usually, we let him watch, uh, it's a local PBS station mm-hmm. uh, that's just dedicated to, dedicated to children's cartoons. Okay. We don't have to monitor him most of the time. But uh, And one of his favorite shows is a show called Arthur. And oh, my kids used to watch that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, they, that's a cute show. They may not be able to watch it anymore, Stacy. and I hate to say this. Um, they've been advertising, you know, this is their 22nd season, mm-hmm. and they're, they're going to premiere, everything is going to start premiering Monday night. Well, we missed it. Uh, we were out, but I come in today, and I'm hurt. I'm honestly hurt from this because my son loves the show, and actually we enjoy watching him with him. But the episode was geared around the teacher. They went to the teacher's wedding. And whenever they got there, they found out it was a gay wedding. So it's about the kids going, and this is their first, their, their first time being exposed, and they're being exposed to a homosexual wedding. And this was a show geared for kids from 0 to 10, 12. For very young kids, and this this was adult content. This is adult social issues. Wait, okay, so address the children. No, so Richard, thank you for bringing this the story. Thank you for bringing this up because I hadn't seen the alert. Devin just typed in on my on our computer here. One million moms sent out an alert earlier today to let parents know, just like so you wouldn't be blindsided the way you and your family were. Um, Actually, it was today at two fifteen. Devin says he got the email at 2.15. So now that we're all aware yeah, of it. I actually called and left a message with one of the ladies from oh, uh, okay. one, one of um, me and moms. Good, good. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. That's how, so that's how we find this stuff out. Because for us, so, you know, our kids are teenagers now. And they don't watch Arthur anymore. But back when we used to watch it, it was just as wholesome as it could get. I mean, just just clean and fun and really uh, safe to watch. You could let them watch it by themselves. You didn't have to worry about anything. This is such a travesty because it's such a great story about a family um, for them to ruin it this way. And now, uh, you like like you said, you can't watch it anymore. You just don't have a choice. And there's been 21, 21 seasons before this. And I would honestly, I would recommend it to anyone. I, I would even recommend turn on to the PBS station you leave it on with your kids while you go to the front, watch whatever drama or something that, you know, is age-appropriate. But this is age-appropriate for little kids. They, they're bringing out a show where they're, they're doing this. And from what I've read online, there was no notice given to parents. There was no notice given about this is what the first episode is. And all the articles I found, everything didn't pop up until last night after it. First aired. There was nothing about, hey, this is about to happen. So, well, they didn't course, want to warn you because parents, then you might all... not have watched it, you see. So now they can exactly. claim a victory because a bunch of parents watched it with their kids. And whether you liked it or not, well, they can use those ratings to actually, say that it was a hit. Actually, what could have happened with us? 
how many kids watch this, then now they're they're wondering, okay, I've got to, why why is this happening to to the the teacher? This 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 isn't normal, and and normal in their world now. Whenever a, whenever a parent feels that their child is old enough and mature enough, that's the time for the parent to address it. But this is not something that should happen in a show, a good show that's geared towards young kids for it to be brought out to them then. No, I agree. So I totally agree. Oh, Richard, thank you for calling and alerting 1millionmoms.com and for calling the show today. Um, there's actually a petition. You can go to one millionmoms.com and sign the petition to ask them to roll this back. I mean, it, it's pretty clear they had to take some time to write this into the storyline. They went over this with everybody on the you know production staff and everyone who has anything to do with Arthur. And like Richard said, 22 seasons, 21 seasons. This is a show that most of us, our kids, it, like you, you have to have been raised in another country not to have been exposed to Arthur the cartoon. And now the teacher is a same-sex couple, which means they're going to be on all the time, the same-sex couple. Ah, so click on, go to onemillionmoms.com, click on campaigns at the top of the page. You can sign the petition there. I plan to do it over this next break, which is coming up in just a minute here. Um, so we, we, we'll have to get to some of this content in the third segment. Um, we'll, what we'll quickly do is this was breaking news late yesterday, and it's good news. I'm so glad. Barr has appointed a U.S. attorney to investigate spying on the Trump campaign. Let me tell you why he did a U.S. attorney. Um, the U.S. attorney's name is John Durham. He's the U.S. attorney in Connecticut. He will conduct the inquiry. It will focus on whether the government's methods to collect intelligence relating to the Trump campaign were lawful and appropriate. And Durham has previously investigated law enforcement corruption, uh, the destruction of CIA videotapes, the Boston FBI's office uh, relationship to mobsters. So he's done these kinds of things before. He will continue to serve as the chief federal prosecutor in the state of Connecticut. And the reason why he chose a U.S. attorney to do the investigation is because this is going to be under his control, his control directly. I like it. All right, when we get back, we'll have your guests. Stay right there. She was a baby girl left abandoned on a doorstep in China. Our friends met her in that orphanage that had saved her life, and they adopted her. And believe me, she's not an orphan anymore. There are a lot of folks who have felt orphaned for much of their lives, either left behind or left alone. Maybe you know the feeling. Well, just like that little girl, someone went a long way to get you. Someone who chose you. He's adopted a lot of spiritual orphans into his family, and he's ready to adopt you too. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We've been cut off from the Heavenly Father by choosing to run a life that he was supposed to run. So we feel spiritually fatherless. But God's Son came all the way from heaven to that awful cross to pay for your sins and give you the chance to be His. You can belong to Him by saying, Jesus, I'm yours. It's something we'd love to help you do. Call us at 888-NEED-HIM or go to chataboutjesus.com. You will never feel orphaned again. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke rolled out his version of the Green New Deal in a video from Yosemite Valley. He doesn't call for such draconian action as the legislation sponsored by Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Her plan calls for net zero greenhouse gas emissions in 10 years. He has a target somewhere around the year 2050. Perhaps we should call it the light green New Deal. In his video, Beto calls it the most ambitious climate plan in the history of the United States. You have to believe some environmentalists are rolling their eyes. His target is more than 20 years further down the road from the Green New Deal legislation in Congress. If climate change is such an existential threat, some candidates keep telling us, then why is his target around the year 2050? Most of this is wishful thinking and utopian planning. The editors at the Wall Street Journal lamented that environmentalists and Democrat candidates tell us that the apocalypse is coming, but refuse to offer a substantive proposal that is honest about what it would take to get to zero global emissions. This is a debate about how many solar-powered unicorns can dance on the top of a wind turbine. Beto would have the U.S. rejoin the Paris Agreement and stop all oil and gas leases on federal lands. His cabinet would then oversee the permitting decisions in the nation to make sure they account for climate cost and community impacts. Congress would have to enact emission standards and send a clear price signal to the market, which might be code for a carbon tax and other cap-and-trade schemes. Congress would also have to find the money for all of this. In the end, he has put forth a proposal that neither side of the political aisle would adopt. It is too timid for the environmentalist and too radical for most other Americans. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Socialism, go to viewpoints.info slash socialism. That's viewpoints.info slash socialism. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. Head over to UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Check out our information about the conference that we're having in June. This promises to be a very good time. Wonderful content. Great speakers. You don't want to miss it. All right. It's my pleasure to welcome Daniel Turner. He's the executive director of Power the Future. Daniel, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. Hey, I'm pretty excited to talk about victories. I like having good news on Fridays. I call it Good News Friday. But today is Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. But I'll take some good news today. Yeah, Good News Tuesday. This is uh, this is a great day, especially if you are one of the thousands of jobs that were just saved by uh, by President Trump and his action in Ohio. All right, so let's talk about that. And and first off, just just to make sure people know the lay of the land, this is a major victory for workers in the state of Ohio who have General Motors CEO and President Trump to thank for coming together and working on preserving and saving jobs in that state. Exactly. This was the uh, plant in Ohio that was slated to close, a General Motors plant that employed about 1,700 individuals. Um, and when President Trump found out, uh, he negotiated with the, the CEO of General Motors to find another purpose for the plant, either to sell it or to bring in some other sort of industry. And after some months of pressure and negotiation, they did just that. They sold the plant. Um, all of the jobs will be saved, and General Motors announced an additional expense of several hundred million dollars in the state of Ohio for future projects. And 
uh, like you said, Good News Friday, Good News Tuesday, it's nice to see a president who is fighting for individual jobs. Uh, these are the blue-collar jobs. The people that everyone running for president right now tends to, or claims they tend to care very deeply about. But during the last administration, we saw thousands and thousands of those jobs disappear with little action. So let's let's unpack this a little further. We were told a few years back by President Obama that in order to bring manufacturing jobs back to this country, in order to spur business growth and innovation in America as opposed to spurring it outside of the country, that we would need the equivalent of a magic wand. And this was said in all seriousness. This was not, you know, obviously a few people tittered in the, in the audience and were like, oh, you know, that's funny. But for the most part, Americans understood this to be an admission by then-President Obama that those jobs were gone for good. Since President Trump has been inaugurated, he has been working tirelessly to either actually manifest a magic wand or simply do it without the help of magic by just talking to CEOs and setting up situations in the business environment where it just pays to bring those jobs back here. The tax cuts, the ability to operate with less regulations, and then, of course, just him speaking to them about how they would help Americans and how they have a responsibility to do that as CEOs. And here these companies are now back. Exactly. And and what's amazing about this administration is they did need some radical policy proposal or there was no brand new invention or discovery. Really what it was is, is exactly as you mentioned, a rollback of regulations and creating a climate for businesses to thrive. And, and in the process, there are going to be things like this General Motors plant closing, but they needed someone to step in on behalf of these workers. This is what labor unions used to do on behalf of their workers. Um, sadly, most of the leadership of labor unions tends to support leftist agendas, where the workers themselves tend to vote, as we saw this in the 2016 election, they vote for the president who is going to help them keep their jobs, stay in their towns, uh, support their communities, raise their families, etc. So it, it wasn't a magic wand. It wasn't really anything other than just allowing the free markets to operate and helping create a climate for businesses to thrive. Why that was so difficult for the previous administration to understand, I guess I'll never know. Mm. So one of the things that you just mentioned about the unions is it's so instructive. If if people really want to understand how far unions have strayed from their original purpose and why so many people on the right side of the political aisle are like, you know, I just don't have any room for unions because of the, the it's, it's what you just said. They exclusively funnel part of the dues that they receive from their members to Democrats who are currently working to dismantle so many of the uh, accomplishments of the unions from the very start of, of when unions began, which was getting good working conditions for employees, increasing wages, and giving workers the opportunity to negotiate and bargain with their employers as a group. And I actually am not opposed to any of that. I am opposed nope. to them saying you can't funnel any money from you know, United Auto Workers, you can't give any of that money to a Republican candidate when Republicans are the ones who are trying to create the business environment that creates jobs and makes it possible for employees to have bonuses and vacations and better health care packages and, and, and that kind of stuff, which unions should be interested in. They used to be. Exactly. And, and it's interesting you mentioned United Auto Workers unions. We saw in 2016 union leadership go one direction 
and maybe compel their members to canvass for, for Secretary Clinton, et cetera. But the members clearly voted a different way. That's why President Trump won Michigan. That's why he won uh, Wisconsin, uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, states that surprised people. But it really shouldn't have surprised anyone if you see the issues he was standing for. And we're going to see the same thing, I think, in 2020. Look at what Secretary Clinton and, and President Obama said about coal workers. And that's the area where my organization, Power of the Future, focuses on, which is energy workers. And they said flat out, we're going to bankrupt the coal industry. We're going to put coal miners out of work. It was Secretary Clinton surprised that she lost Pennsylvania and Ohio, two <laughs> very important coal states. Again, I don't know why this is so confusing to anyone. So instead they blame the Russians or someone else. But it was their own lousy ideas why they lost 16 and probably why they will lose in 2020. Okay, so you just you just cracked onto something that we we're still seeing the ramifications of that, Daniel, and that is the refusal to accept that certain policies that the Democrats are putting forward have been rejected by Americans. And it, there's nothing like sitting up and listening to a political candidate who is nationally known and has a really good chance of becoming the president say, "We're going to destroy the industry that you work for." And you look around your house and you know. Well, this is Christian radio. We're all Christians. We believe that everything we have comes from God, but we also believe we have to work for it. And if someone says they're going to destroy your work, the place that you go to, you get your health insurance there, you use the money that you make from there to power the economic engine for your household, of course you're going to vote against that. You don't need a Russian to tell you to do that. Exactly. And coal miners have been targeted by the previous administration for, for eight straight years. What President Obama said when he was then Senator Obama that he was going to make it impossible to open a coal mine. And, and the war on coal, President Trump talks about it a lot, and it really was a war on coal, and it was successful. Over 80,000 coal miners lost their job during the, the previous administration. 400 coal mines closed. And, and people like the previous administration, people like Michael Bloomberg, who funds the Sierra Club because they're leading the charge to close coal mines, they see this as somehow a good thing, and they pat themselves on the back when a coal mine closes. But does anyone ask about the men and women who lost their jobs? And if you go through rural America, especially Appalachia, where I spend an awful lot of my time, um, you see whole communities that used to be thriving just 10 years ago where now their schools are closed, there's, there's rampant unemployment, there's poverty, and the awful things that come with poverty. Suicide is up. Opioid use is up. Uh, depression is up. Uh, mortgages are underwater. And, and no one ever is held to account for what this war on coal did. They look at it and say, well, we think it's good for the earth. But let me tell you, if you're one of those 88,000 people who lost their job, it was not a very good thing, and this was purely for partisan political reasons. They targeted coal because they didn't like it for political reasons, and they destroyed thousands of families in the process, and I think they need to be held accountable for that, which is why I started my organization. And Power to the Future. So tell us, where, where can we find out more about Power to the Future, and what exactly does Power to the Future do? Uh, it's, it's Our website is powerofthefuture.com, and I started it. Um, for the main purpose of standing up for rural energy workers in America. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, if you are working in the coal mine, if you are working in the fracking industry, in the, in the oil and gas industry, it is easy for uh, the Sierra Club or Greenpeace to come in 
They get a check from Tom Steyer for $500,000. They bust in kids from the state college, and they bang on drums for weeks on end. Look at protests like the Keystone Pipeline protests or the Dakota Access protests. We see them all the time, and, and they're not organic. These are orchestrated, paid protesters for political reasons. Um, but what, what bothered me and why I started the organization is because when they win, these folks lose. They lose their jobs. They lose their livelihood. Uh, their communities are often destroyed in parts of rural America. Sometimes up to 90% of the community is employed by one coal mine. And when that coal mine is closed because someone in San Francisco thinks it should be, um, those folks don't have alternatives. And so I started an organization to push back on the radical green movement, the Green New Deal, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and all the radical environmentalism, which is a threat to our country. Well, I really appreciate that. It's PowerTheFuture.com. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. I'm, I kind of wonder, and I know it's pure evil, but can we just wonder for a second here, uh, you know, Daniel, why wouldn't someone in Silicon Valley or San Francisco... Um, the number two capital of the world, why wouldn't one of those people who said, you know, we're going to destroy the coal industry also say, but we're going to offer job retraining and I'm going to relocate a, you know, let's say Amazon HQ6, you know, so I'm going to make plans. So by the time we destroy the coal industry, everyone there will have been retrained and they'll all be working in uh, distributing, you know, packages for Amazon because we'll have our, our HQ2 and two and a half there. Why wouldn't any one of these, they're really titans of the new economy. They have the ability to literally change the lives of groups of Americans in the range of fifty to 60000 a pop by saying, I'm going to put a headquarters here or I'm going to put a factory or distribution center here. Why wouldn't they say, I'm destroying coal, uh, but I... I've also going to make, I'm, I'll never go to sleep worried about people that, you know, they're doing drugs or their kids aren't in school anymore or they're homeless because of me. These people are going to have jobs. They're just going to be doing something different. If they really want to be the puppet masters of our entire world and tell all of us what we're going to do, why don't they provide an outlet? Why do they just destroy? You know, it's, it's a great point. I look at the, uh, the uh, case of Amazon and their search for new headquarters. Um, I'm originally from New York City. Uh, I don't live there anymore. I live in D.C. But New York was on their radar, and Governor Cuomo fought hard to get New York on the running for uh, Amazon. But he didn't want uh, Utica or Buffalo or Rochester or one of the, the, the many towns in upstate New York that is really struggling, that needs jobs, that needs economy. He wanted to bring it to thriving New York City. I think if you are in Silicon Valley, if you are an elite New Yorker or a Beltway Washingtonian, you don't really like rural America. You don't. You don't really care about rural America. Um, you actually, quite honestly, disdain it and think very little of it. Um, I don't know if you remember. You may have covered it on your show a few months ago. Bill Maher was caught on a live mic making comments about flyover country and how you know you have Chef Boyardee and we have Chef Wolfgang Puff. He was telling the truth about what the elite <laughs> think of regular, ordinary America. They only like the uh, elite coastal regions. So they have no desire to help those communities thrive. But I started this organization because it is exactly those communities that not only provide our energy because of coal and oil and gas, but they grow our food, they do our manufacturing, they fight our wars. Right? That's where the majority of our military comes from. Mm -hmm. um, these are people in the flyover area who do the grunt work that, uh, that powers our nation, and yet just a handful of people in D.C., in New York, 
in San Francisco, they think they get to dictate policies for them, whether it's Green New Deal, uh, whether it's gun issues, whether it's freedom of religion issues. And it's about time that rural America had more people like yourself. You're doing a great service, um, and, and, and hopefully like me, that can push back um, and help them have a, a voice in this conversation. Well, you know, Daniel, I'll say this for uh, Bill Maher. He really thinks a lot of himself. But I can tell you, and I've, I've, I've met so many people, what, one side benefit of being in radio and media is that you get to meet so many people and communicate with them. And it feels like a bunch of friends, right? And so people are very, very open. And I have never, ever met a person in all the years I've been doing this, the people I've met all over the country, I've never met anyone who said, I wish I could trade places with Bill Maher or people that express that they're not happy where they are. And, and often when I find myself in, in an area what's quote unquote rural, I find happy, thriving people who they, if you paid them a million bucks, they wouldn't take it to go live where Bill Maher lives or have the lifestyle that he has. He's, he's not a coveted individual. It's not like people look at him and say, wow, I wish I had what he had. And even in areas where there's economic depression, there's still hope and people are trying to make it where they are. They don't want to trade places and go to live Bill Maher's life. So he's he's so deceived. It's almost laughable. Um, and, and the people I meet, they have the rosy cheeks of, of Americans who are just fine where they are. In fact, they're better than fine. They're they're I gloriously think, happy compared to Bill Maher. Yeah, I think what would surprise a lot of people, and I can say this as a kid who grew up in New York City and whose whole family is still there, I think what would surprise a lot of people from the urban power centers is that not only is rural America uh, um, content there, they don't want to live in New York or San Francisco. Because they could. No, maybe they'll They could if they wanted to. (laughs) They'll go see a Broadway show and look at Times Square, but they like their lives in rural America. They don't want to trade places with you. And, and it bothers me, obviously, so much that I left my job and started a nonprofit. It bothers me that they enact policies to try to destroy rural America because they don't spend any time there. Look at our, you know, the, the famous Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We talk about her all the time. She talks about energy policy. She talks about the grid. She talks about guns. She talks about farming, agriculture. What yeah, does she, she knows know nothing about, about it. Topics? Nothing. She knows nothing about it. All right, everybody, powerthefuture.com, powerthefuture.com. Check it out. Daniel Turner, Executive Director, thank you for joining us today. It was great to chat with you. Hope to talk to you again soon. Love being with you. Thank you. All right. We will be back with more right after this. Stay there. More than likely, you've seen or heard about the recent abortion law in New York City that allows babies to be aborted up to term. Your heart breaks, but you're not sure how you can make a difference in a positive way. The Ministry of Preborn invites you to help be the change. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. The Preborn Center in the heart of New York City is a light in the darkness. When a woman sees her baby on an ultrasound, She'll choose life over 80% of the time. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry. And it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and you'll receive a story and a picture of babies whose lives were spared. 
To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. Here's what you've missed on airing the Addisons. This article here uh, from just last year, one of the more recent articles on snoozing, says that when you snooze on a regular basis, among other things that happens to your body, you become addicted to snoozing. Mm-hmm. Please don't do that. What? Like, what? Don't, I'm, I'm agreeing with the article. No, but your agreement was as if you already knew that. You didn't know that snoozing was addictive. It makes sense, though. That's that's what the mm-hmm was, because people who snooze, they love, like, they, they can't not do it. That makes you know, sense. Everyone, everyone listening to this program, including your wife, knows that they is a synonym for Miki. No, they. No, that's Whoever no, snooze. that's exactly what you mean. And everybody <laughs> knows it. And when I say everybody, I mean me. That's my synonym for me. So I'm talking back about to the they article. Snooze. They who snooze. Is that scripture? <laughs> like that. Airing the Addisons. So Weekday morning, six to eight central on Urban Family Talk. I'm Linda Bell with the Fox Business Network, giving you the business. The career choice for many NFL players after leaving football is entrepreneurship. The Connor Group has launched an initiative to help them get there. The specialized accounting firm helps former and current players map out their post-NFL careers by connecting them with occupational mentorships. Managing partner, Jim Neeson. We had this vision of how do we bring what we do, which is working with the world's best tech and biotech companies, how do we bring that where we can also then merge it with players who are really passionate about learning about business. Neeson explains why entrepreneurship is a natural fit for NFL athletes. They have achieved the highest standard. Uh, They conquer fear on a daily basis. Um, They manage amazing pressure. They work so hard. Focus and determination and discipline and teamwork. Those are all the characteristics of an entrepreneur and a, a CEO. Giving you the business. I'm Linda Bell, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. What people should understand is that what Medicare for All does is it eliminates your private health insurance premiums. You're not going to be paying that. You're not going to be paying co-payments. You're not going to be paying uh, deductibles. You're going to be seeing your uh, prescription drug costs, in my view, come down by 50%. Will you be paying more in taxes? Yes, you will. <laughs> will you pay more in taxes? Yes, you will. And in my view, which is totally unscientific and unproven, you're going to save 50%. Like that 2500 you saved that Obama promised you. Oops, did I say that? Whoop, yep, yep, that's what you just heard. I don't understand how this guy can be a front runner with these ideas. These ideas are terrible. All right, let's get back to the show sheet. We also have a little time for calls if you want to join in. Um, 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. Check out the tulips if you're watching the live stream. Check out the tulips over here. Those were from Mother's Day. That's my favorite flower. Well, it's my favorite flower that, you know, people cut and do. Well, I, okay, it's really, it's hydrangeas and those. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, so... um. I'm shocked by Bernie Sanders and his drama. Now, here's another really interesting, like, I, so dishonesty is, is a racket. And here it is. Jeff Bezos is playing a trick on Americans by making them think that he's paying his Amazon workforce $15 an hour. So he, this is October of last year, he raised the pay for 250,000 warehouse workers at Amazon to $15 an hour. Now, of course, liberals were like, woohoo! 
he's the best. He's better than all of you. He likes people. He's better. Well, this week, we learn the rest of the story. The raise is actually a stunt. He plans to replace those workers because now that they make $15 an hour, they make a combined $3.75 million an hour, which is a drop in the bucket for him. But still, it, he, has, he still has to look at the bottom line. And I think that's what liberals, they discount. Any business owner has to look at the bottom line. And if the bottom line is, you know, here, $3.75 million an hour, he has to compare that bottom line figure with what's coming in and other costs. So it's a total picture, not just $15 an hour. The people who keep trumpeting that statistic don't look at the totality of the costs that businesses are facing. I, I don't know if, if you saw this because with such heavy news political side, uh, some of these stories are falling by the wayside. But here in St. Louis, in the, in the, actually it's in the state of Missouri, um, but Metro St. Louis area, 44 steak and shakes are going to be closed. They're actually closed right now. The list of them, I think my, our family, because of sports, you know how you get dinner on the run when your kid has a, you know, evening game during the week. And so we've eaten at almost every steak and shake in the metro area. And so a bunch of them are ones that we used to eat at. So I forwarded the story to our group text as a family. And uh, my husband immediately texted back and said, wait, some of these locations we've been to before, they're already closed. I'm like, yeah. So the story is about how Steak and Shake decided that these are these 44 stores are actually owned by Steak and Shake, the parent company. So what they're trying to do is get franchise owners, so small business-minded people who are looking for a good franchise opportunity to jump in on these Steak and Shakes. $10,000 is all you need to get in. Now, that is an astoundingly cheap entry fee to get into a, uh, a franchise. Usually, you have to own your own home outright, have no debt. That means you own your cars, too. And... Your whatever debt you have left, like student loan debt, et cetera, that has to be completely manageable and a tiny sliver of what your take home pay is. Then you have to have a certain amount of your like whatever your uh, total package of these are all my assets. You have to also have some liquid cash and it has to be significant. Twenty five thousand is usually the minimum that they'll permit. And that these are numbers from years ago. My husband and I wanted to figure out how franchising worked, and we looked into it and realized you really you have to be living right. You have to be a big time saver and you have to be living cash, not credit cards. They don't want to see a lot of credit card debt. And then your entry fee to get in, to get into the franchise is usually anywhere from 25 on the low end to 250,000. And sometimes the reason they do that is because what people will do is they'll get together. A few business people will get together, pull their resources to get that 250,000 and they open one store together. But the point to opening that one store in the large entry fee is that that business, Yum Brands, whoever it is that you're franchising in Olive Garden or what have you, they expect you to open two or three more in your metro area. So you're not going to own one restaurant. When you sign the deal, you're saying, I'm going to own you know, six McDonald's or nine McDonald's, depending on the size of the metro area and how much coverage they already have there. So Steak and Shake owns corporate-wise these 44 stores in the metro area, and they want to encourage small business persons to spend 10 grand and get in and come in and run these stores themselves. So you would buy one store, you know, the entry fee to get into it, and you would run it. Well, they have to do a lot to, first of all, it's not just the 10 grand that you need. You need some serious training and managerial skills because the reason why we stopped eating at Steak and Shake, and I, I, we were actually talking about this amongst ourselves, how we think 
it was kind of a phenomenon where everyone was eating at Steak and Shake and loving it. And then the customer service got really bad and it turned people off and they just stopped going there because that's what happened with us. We went through the drive through and we'd had our order incorrect in the drive through two or three times. And that third or fourth time, whichever it was, our son was like, my burger's wrong. And our daughter was like, my burger's wrong. And I looked at mine. I was like, well, I got a patty melt, so it's not it's not wrong. But everybody else's order is wrong. We were missing a couple things. And my son was like, what's the point of coming here? Every time we come here, our order is wrong. And we haven't been in there since. It's so weird the way it's just like a switch gets turned off and then you just don't go. So now they're going to try to bring people in to manage them individually. And I think the reason they lowered the franchise fee to 10000 is because that is the same amount of money it takes to get into a Chick-fil-A. Well, last I checked. It might be higher now. I don't know. But at the, the last I checked, we had a, a friend of ours her good friend opened a Chick-fil-A that we'd actually been going to. And she said, I don't know if you know this or not, but that, that family that, that runs that Chick-fil-A is our friend. And we started talking about it. She said, yeah, they, they love the opportunity to own their own business and their own destiny. They both work there and they raise the kids and it's just like a family thing for them. And they only had to pay 10000 to get in. I was like, wow, that's amazing. And, you know, remember, Chick-fil-A is, um, <laughs> Chick-fil-A is my pleasure. It's a pleasure to serve you. You know, it, they, they are looking to please you. They're, they're going out of their way to make you feel good. And they want your order right. We've been shopping at Chick-fil-A since they opened here in St. Louis, their first store. And so that's been a number of years. And we've only had our order wrong once. <laughs> so they've got something to do. And so that I segued off into that because I just, I want to make sure people understand there's so much more to this, like, when you're at a restaurant and the experience that you have, it goes into a larger experiential thing that's happening with, you know, possibly tens of thousands of people who are visiting that store. And if it's bad for you a bunch of different times, it's probably bad for a bunch of other people a bunch of different times, which brings you to a place where you're like, you know what? I just want to shop here anymore. And so when you say everybody should make $15 an hour, should someone who just drove 44, this, this is a group of employees. They're not. I don't think they're connected and they sat down and said, let's run the steak and shakes out of business here in St. Louis. But you know, it's bad when you're in one part of town and the steak and shake gets your order wrong. And then you're in another part of town a few weeks later and they get your order wrong. And then you're down at the steak and shake that you, everybody agrees this is a good steak and shake and you go in to eat and people's orders are wrong or the people who are serving you have an attitude. Those people are not earning or deserving $15 an hour. So this isn't about me saying no one deserves it or that you can't work in fast food or retail and earn $15 an hour. You can, but just think about the amount of money they're now spending. They're going to revamp all 44 of these restaurants. They're all closed right now, which means they're not bringing in one thin red dime and they have to revamp and do all of this over again, which in my opinion, they should worry less about what the store looks like and worry more about the people they're bringing in. Are these trainable, teachable people? Can these people actually serve under our model, the steak and shake model, which is hot food that's prepared for you when you order it so it's not fast, can they do that and get orders correct and convey customer service so that it's worth reopening these stores? I almost feel like if they can't get the training right, what they should do is just sell the real estate that the stores are sitting on to some other business that can actually bring in a model that works. That's just me. So this $15 an hour stunt is based upon this unsustainable liberal fantasy that every person should make a certain amount of money regardless of what they're doing because that makes certain people feel good. 
Again, back in the feelings utopia. Now, Fortune magazine actually reported on April 11th that U.S. retail giants woke up Thursday to yet another challenge from Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos that these companies have to match his company's recent increase to a minimum wage of $15 an hour. Do it. Better yet, go to $16 and throw the gauntlet back at us, Bezos wrote. He wrote this in his annual shareholder letter. This is so much duplicity. But what can we expect from a man who left his wife of 24 years for some helicopter pilot anchor chick for no other reason than she's more exciting than his than his wife was? The woman who helped him build an empire and gave him children and they had a family life together. Anyway, he says it's a kind of competition that will benefit everyone. This taunt is coming from a company that has been under a lot of pressure to improve their working conditions, which that's if I was a business owner, I would say, you know what, Bezos, worry about yourself. You can afford to pay people a lot, but you treat your people like robots. Can't use the bathroom. Can't take any extra steps. Can't stop while you're working and just have a, you know, hey, how are you doing today? Or I'm so glad to see you back. You've been sick. You can't even you don't even have time to do that because he has a tracker on you. How many steps does it take to get from that shelf to this conveyor belt? And if you take any extra ones, you get dinged. So Dave Cooper, a senior analyst at the Economic Policy Institute, which is a think tank, said, we're finally seeing the beauty of tight labor markets. And if they can force their competitors to pay more, that's extra dollars that workers will spend. So now we know why Jeff Bezos hates Donald Trump and why he's so deranged about him. Because President Trump brought this, well, I mean, he didn't do it single-handedly, but he has set conditions that have made it possible for us to have this extraordinarily tight labor market, which benefits you and me. It means that more people are employed. There are fewer people out there vying for the job that you're doing, which means you can possibly, just possibly, be in amongst that group of people who is asking your boss for a raise or you know, possibly earning your way into some uh, promotion or a better opportunity. The labor market is tight. Good people are hard to find. It's a great place to be. Now, the president's also reducing illegal immigration and unreformed competition. Companies are hiring Americans again. And so Jeff Bezos is going to turn to robots. PC Magazine reports that each robot packer can handle 700 orders per hour, unlike their human counterparts. Robots don't require regular breaks. Robots never go home. Robots don't get sick. And so that is what Jeff Bezos plans to do. How many human workers will a Jeff Bezos Amazon robot replace? And full disclosure, I got packages from Amazon sitting right out there in the foyer right now. Amazon is convenient. It is something that, I mean, you use it because it works. One robot worker takes the place of 24 human workers. So what did he do? Jeff Bezos increased the price of these people's hourly wage. In doing so, he was making a political statement. He used these workers to make a political statement. And now that the robots are almost complete and ready to, to, to you know, um, to work, each robot will eliminate 24 human roles. If the same robot is rolled out to each of Amazon's U.S. facility, 1,300 Amazon workers will be let go. 1,300. 
Now, each robot packer costs $1 million plus running expenses, which sounds like a lot unless you consider that Amazon will recoup the money that they're spending on the robots in just two short years. Those savings come from employing fewer people, but also the efficiency and low maintenance costs from these machines. One robot equals 24 workers. So in one and a half year time frame, time frame 18 months, the robot has paid for itself. The $15 an hour trick was simply a bon voyage present to people who were about to be fired. It was also a PR stunt aimed at helping Democrats who are reeling in the face of this economic wonder, the magic wand effect of Donald Trump. And I think it's really sad that a lot of Americans will not hear this story. They will not know that that was a stunt. They will think that Jeff Bezos, the wonderkind of, of package and mailing and, you know, the type of business that he has, which is online retailing, that he's found something that other businesses are just too mean and stingy to find. The truth is he's a propagator of lies. And that is absolutely unconscionable that he would use people as a PR stunt under the guise of helping them make more money per hour. These 1,300 workers, this tight economy, they'll find something else to do. But when do we get to stop just feeding at the trough of lies of Jeff Bezos? When does that get to end? Man, I just can't believe the lengths people will go to to justify the Democratic agenda. All right, I hear the music. You know what? You enjoy your evening. Have a fantastic night. God bless you. Talk to you tomorrow.